This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the e-commerce Brain Trust. My name is Stefan. I'm going to be your host for this episode. We're still doing the ad series, and I am very honored to be joined by Melissa Burdick, co-founder and president of PackView, one of the leading e-commerce technology solution providers and a a partner of Bobsled throughout the whole year. I believe I speak for anyone on the PPC team when I say we're very, very happy with the features it offers. And Melissa, welcome to the e-commerce brain trust, or should I say welcome back? I'm sure you've you've been a guest of ours several times by now. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Every day is a new day, so always something new to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. And while I believe nobody needs an intro from your side, I'm I'm sure all of our listeners already know about you and PackU. Would you mind doing a quick intro for people who are first hearing of PackU? Sure. So PackU is, I think we're heading into year four of PackU. And essentially, we are unifying retail media through a user interface that adopts APIs of Amazon, Walmart, Instacart, Critio, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially anyone that has a self-serve ad offering, we've adopted and we integrate reporting, data insights, and of course, bread and butter is automation and optimization of campaign management. And that's a little bit about PackView. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah, it definitely... Retail media unification, robust reporting and data insights, and just the automation aspect of it. It's definitely among the features we appreciate most here at Bobsled. Yeah, you need kind of two things to be successful. You need the people, always need the strategists and the people, and then the tech stack. And we are the tech stack that automates and enables strategy. So I like to say spend time on strategy, not in spreadsheets. (laughs) That's a good one. So Melissa, can you tell us a little bit more about what's latest for PackView? What are some of the new initiatives? I've seen some very, very cool LinkedIn posts. So I wanted to get a chance to ask you this. Yeah, I would say this year and really starting last year was an explosion of retailers creating their own self-serve ad products. So Walmart launched with a partner program in February, Instacart in June, Critio towards the end of the year in 2020. And so my life has really been about retail media expansion, working with all these partners and expanding our product offering platform by platform, which is, you know, really fast and furiously happening. So I think there's been a lot of success with the Amazon platform. You know, they make money, a lot of profit with AWS and advertising. And most retailers, I don't think they can create their own AWS offering. And there's a lot of competitors that are big, like (laughs) Google Cloud. But, you know, advertising is a really great source of revenue for these retailers. And more and more of this is putting the power in brands and agencies' hands to do self-service. And so that's really been an explosion of these retail media platforms and partners that we're working with. And it seems like more and more every day. And if you don't create your own self-serve ad platform, you can work with someone like a Critio that provides 
that technology for those retailers and kind of aggregates them like Costco and others. So that's been, a, you know, the busy life of Packy these days. In addition to just the constant feature releases of Amazon, they've really stepped up a lot of product feature releases. So not just the new retail platforms, but also integrating and creating our own innovation on top of these retail media platforms that are existing. Yeah, those two are probably connected, right? Amazon sees how many new marketplaces are releasing new self-serve solutions. So probably need to step up their game. Yeah, and just also the amount of like just new things that they're releasing as well. You know, OTT and video and all, you know, all kinds of like product feature expansion that they're doing. And, you know, the more they can push that into the API, the better. We also recently launched Amazon DSP tools. And so that's been pretty exciting as well. That's kind of hot off the presses as well this month. Very exciting. I very much look forward to discussing that in more depth with you a bit later. (laughs) So with Amazon in main focus and and Amazon in mind, PackView recently released its Q1 report. You guys are releasing quarterly CPC reports. And can you tell us a little bit more about it and some of the main takeaways from it? Yeah. I mean, the net of it is ad spends, the average ad spend in Q1 was significantly higher. You know, usually Q1s coming off the seasonality of Q4, there's not as much spending, but we were surprised just across our client base that spending has been strong, which just is indicative of the rise of e-commerce in general. But spends were significantly up. Click, some click rates were at historic lows, but con- conversion highs. So when people are clicking, they are buying. And, you know, just like a, a little bit more of a maturity thing, but ROAS continues to decline from its, you know, early, it's still very good, but it is, you know, kind of declining. So that's kind of the high levels. And then also from a little bit more of a category perspective. So, you know, Consumers are eager for nicer weather. After the pandemic winter, we saw the sports and outdoors category have an increase in conversion rate through Q1. Also, patio lawn and garden saw increased competitiveness. And then just in terms of search trends that we're seeing, so this is this is exciting news, I think, because you know, last year Q1, if you looked at search terms, it was, you know, N95 mask, hand sanitizer, face mask. I mean, <laughs> basically. All and then leading up to March, the top 10 keywords, toilet paper, number one, you know, we all went out and bought toilet paper. But, you know, as we look at Q1 search trends this year, it's much more back to normal. So face mask actually fell off of the top 10 in March. So, you know, as more people are getting vaccinated, as states are loosening some restrictions around masks, although not not here in Washington state, I can tell you that we're all still masking up and wearing masks. And then also like you also see some seasonal keywords, like number one in February was Valentine's Day gifts for him. And then followed by Valentine's Day gifts for her. What do you think about that? Number one was Valentine's Day gifts for him. And number two was for her. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm very happy that masks and toilet paper are no longer there. Second of all, I'm happy either way. Even if they can't see each other, even if they're distancing, they found time to do some Valentine's Day gifts. And about the sequence, about who's first and who's second, no comment. (laughs) (laughs) Women are buying more gifts for him? I don't know. We'll see. But 
And there were also a lot of search terms around just like still like Bluetooth headphones, you know, people are obviously still working from home, still kind of doing things like that. And then the other one is this keyword pop it. I don't know, this must be I don't know if this is a TikTok trend. I, I didn't look at this, but there's this kind of fidget sensory toy. I, I'd love to see if it's trending on TikTok because usually that's what happens. But I think that indicates that people are still stressed. If you look at it on Amazon, it's like a picture of a woman like stressed out at work kind of use. It's like a fidget spinner, but it's not. It's it's the new fidget spinner for this year. So it was number one, if I recall, maybe I checked it maybe last week or something. I've given up on trying to see what it is. I can't really, <laughs> can't really understand it, but very, very popular to your point. I think it was the most searched Amazon search term, at least for a day, because if I've seen it there, I was probably just looking at daily data. So very, very the other, interesting. The other one is this toy. My kids are older now, so I'm sure if they were younger, I'd, I'd, I'd know what this was, but the squishable that also is, I think, one of the most popular search terms. It, it's like the, it's like a big toy pillow kind of thing. I actually saw it at Costco yesterday when I was there. But that's also been a trending toy keyword on Amazon. Yeah, like you said, a lot better, a lot different compared to last year. And I yes. really like it. <laughs> We're actually not hoarding toilet paper, I don't think, anymore. Yeah. They, they bought it last year and it's lasted. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, speaking of Amazon, there were some changes, some, some interesting changes here to date, not maybe strictly related to advertising, but I, I can't help but ask you, how do you feel about, you know, the early reviewer program officially not being available anymore, brands no longer being able to comment on product reviews? You and I a little <laughs> touched on this before we started recording on this. I think it's super interesting. So, you know, we all know how important reviews are for social proof and it helps, you know, purchase behavior and especially recent reviews is, has, you know, higher weight to the algorithm. And just recently, Amazon did eliminate the early reviewer program, which is for sellers. And I believe Vine reviewer program is still available for brands. Is that your understanding too, that that program is still available? Yes, I've seen nothing, no updates on that program. Yeah, so I think that one's still there. And then brands can't comment on product reviews anymore, which they were doing before. So Amazon's making those changes. Meanwhile, other marketplaces like Nordstrom's a popular place that I, I tend to shop. And they have even, you know, more reviews than ever. But coming from, you know, I saw something like contests. It was like results, you know, review from a contest as part of it. So it's just kind of interesting that Amazon's pulling back other marketplaces are pushing forward. You had some interesting ideas around what you had heard. Mine are simply rumor, rumor mill that are probably wrong, which is that Amazon is having a hard time, you know, keeping in check the black hat tactics with brands commenting on product reviews, which is really a big, it really is a big policing problem. And, you know, it's, there's always going to be edge cases and those are really hard to solve for. And usually they're the worst ones, <laughs> yeah. but what are, what are the reasons you've heard? So basically I'm not sure if mine's more substantial or, or not, but basically the feedback I've heard is the early reviewer program was really not that adopted by brands, not as used as we would assume it to be. And that is part of the reason that kind of led to, to the program being officially shut down. So I'm not sure if this is true or not, but 
I think there is a strong possibility that the early reviewer program was not as used as we assume it to be. Yeah. Well, one thing I know about Amazon and that's change. And so, you know, I'm sure they'll replace it with opportunities to, to continue to get reviews. I do think that that, you know, they take it seriously far back when I was, I worked at Amazon for 10 years and I was a vendor manager there. And I will never forget a meeting I had with a brand who was irate that her competitor was writing false reviews on her product detail pages. And I had not reserved a room and it was super crowded. So I had this brand come and meet with me in the buyer room, which had, you know, 10 other buyers in there and myself, we had the center table and she literally was just irate and screamed for the next hour about, you know, oh, no. take down reviews. You must take them down. And my hands were tied. Like it just, you know, you really couldn't do that. It was just against the policy of Amazon. And I certainly understand as a, you know, she was a founder, she, you know, she was super passionate. She knew it was wrong, but you know, it just went against the terms. And so you have to create these scalable programs, which are super difficult to do. And you're always going to have edge cases, but It'll be interesting to see what they replace this with. The other interesting thing that's happening at Amazon is around social. I've just been so surprised that they haven't done more in this space, but I think that they, you know, recently saw a few things that they're releasing around, you know, brand following and Amazon posts and things like that, that are all going to feed into some bigger programs this year. But have you guys, what have you, what do you think about this, you know, some of these social programs stuff. And have you guys tested anything around Amazon posts or think that's a big opportunity for Amazon this year? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of on the PM side, on the full channel management side at Bobsled, we do Amazon posts for several clients there. But just as how the programs tied together, I was just reading about this today. Basically, I think the posts are actually working towards building a brand following. So you have a number of followers who follow a certain brand. And I do feel like there are, like you said, new campaigns, new programs coming. I believe one of them is maybe available for vendors only, but I think brands will be able to be sending emails, newsletters, be able to contact people who are actually following the brand. So I think it's a slow slow rollout, but it's definitely, definitely being built out. And there are several, at a glance, individual, separate, different programs that Amazon has released, which will probably get unified, will probably be part of a big social campaign or a campaign type or a certain feature where brands will be able to communicate directly or just send one-way messages to their brand following. Yeah. And it's all, this has always been a challenge, I feel like, which is the dissemination of, of information from Amazon and why I think brands really rely on agencies or you know their own savvy people who have great partnerships with Amazon to be able to know what's coming. You know, how can I, what are best practices? How should I be using it? It's always surprised me that, you know, maybe maybe listening through podcasts like this, this is how people get information. And it, you know, it's why I really do think it takes a village to do e-commerce, right? Because you have all this information that, you know, is coming down the pipeline. You need to understand from colleagues, what should you be working on? What's working? What's not working? Things like that. And I remember listening to another e-commerce brain trust podcast that Carrie did around how does she disseminate information internally with her own team, 
which is having, I don't know if you like weekly sessions within your team to just bring to the table. What's new? What did you learn? Which I think is, is it true? Is that weekly that you guys do that? We do. We, we have a channel where wherever we find something, we try to share it with the entire team. But we also do like a bi-weekly call where we actually see what's happened and see what this could lead to. I mean, what does this mean? What's, what's the reason behind it? You know, we twist our mustache and we speculate about what could happen. Those are the, the actual bi-weekly calls. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love, I love the fact that, you know, it's just that dissemination of knowledge and information that's so critical in our environment, which is, you know, that helps everybody. So yeah, I would encourage that's something that we, after I listened to that podcast, actually implemented that within my own team. And that's been super helpful with that. So yeah, that's a part of listening to the podcast and putting into action. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so I've been patient enough. Let's talk about DSP. DSP as a service within PackView. I know you guys have recently launched it. And DSP in general, how are, how are PackView's users, how are they feeling about DSP? Are they adopting it? Do you see an increase in investment? And just in general, how do you think DSP ties within advertising with sponsored ads on Amazon? Yeah, we're really seeing a very high adoption of DSP. It seems that, you know, most people have adopted search and that's been going very well, but, you know, it is getting in some time, in some categories, it's very expensive and the natural expansion is to DSP and then just really great features around audience targeting that you can do. So we are seeing a significant increase in DSP usage. Also, Amazon has a lot of new product focus around OTT, new placements, you know, responsive, creatives, dynamically pulling product detail page content, all, all kinds of features that they're integrating as well. We just launched self-service tools on top of DSP. So, I mean, I remember asking Amazon for an API. It's been, it's been a while, I think, for this API to actually get out there, but it's finally there. And we've launched our tools, which provide kind of more robust functionality like day part bidding that you can do for DSP, which you wouldn't be able to do through the UI if you're just using UI for Amazon. And so that that's literally like hot off the presses just in market now. And then there's also, I think, a big focus to train agencies. You know, all the whole codes, of course, are have been working with Amazon DSP for a long time, but, you know, there's independent agencies and a lot of agencies out there that have really started adopting DSP as well. So really working with Amazon and these agencies to give seats to them to train and upskill the teams to be able to leverage more opportunities to advertise. Every Amazon seller is familiar with the importance of having the capital to seize growth opportunities. That's why Payoneer, the sponsor of today's episode, developed their working capital solution specifically for online sellers. Payoneer's Capital Advance offers e-sellers selling on Amazon and Walmart up to 750k advancement instantly loaded, a gradual settlement collected from future marketplace receivables, always leaving you some funds to manage the day-to-day and an attractive fixed fee. Skip the credit checks and learn more about bringing your e-commerce vision to life by visiting payoneer.com slash funding. Again, that's payoneer.com slash funding. 
you'll even get a special 10% fee rebate on your first offer. So definitely within line with what we've seen. I mean, I, I do feel like maybe even, even starting at Q3 last year, we've seen a lot of demand around DSP and it hasn't slowed down. I feel like a lot of Amazon advertisers who've been using sponsored ads for years now have really begun exploring DSP and really putting some budgets behind it. So I do mm-hmm. think, I feel like it's a trend that will continue throughout the whole year. I mean, a lot of them are interested in getting on DSP. I feel like Amazon have been more responsive. I'm sure like the release of the API and the integration of the API of tools that like PackView will actually help with the adoption or even just the day-to-day management of DSP. Yeah. And I, I've seen also, you know, part of this is this dynamic creation of video production. I think Amazon even will create this video for you. But, you know, experimenting with different creatives and things like that. Have you done any of that experimentation? I've only seen the update that they've shared. And basically, I can't wait to experiment with that. I think basically they can use, similar to how they do dynamic creative, they're going to be able to create the actual video for you. And if they can, if you can create several versions of it, several experiments, I think brands are going to be able to extract a lot of value from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, I mean, like I said, we've seen a lot more adoption. I think it's just a maturity of the platform. You know, a lot of CPC bids on the search product are becoming pretty expensive. And so as a way to win, expanding into DSP has been a good way to do that. And then another, just as a side note, I guess, or separately would be interested to know what you've been seeing, but we've been seeing in this impacts advertising, because you can't advertise if you don't have inventory, but we continue to see some challenges in, in, in stocks this year. Have you guys experienced that with certain brands and maybe it's certain categories versus others? But we have been hearing, you know, like especially in the chip space with CE, inventory is challenging. But have you noticed that at all with your clients? To be honest, I haven't actually asked that question. I'm not sure if there is an issue, but I'm 100% sure like the inventory restrictions are still in place. I mean, Amazon allows you to send inventory, but you have a maximum quantity of items you can send. I think it's tied to performance and just sell through. So with that still being present, and it's been a year since, if you (laughs) recall, when they did the essential items only last year, and then it led to the restrictions. We've had restrictions and brands not being able to send in as much quantity as they probably would like to. So with that in mind, I'm sure a lot of them are having issues just being able to have inventory to not run out of stock with uh, the increase in advertising, increase in demand for e-commerce services and Amazon in particular. Absolutely. So, Alyssa, with PackView supporting multiple marketplaces this year, basically, do you notice on the brand side, do you see brands splitting their advertising budget across more marketplaces this year? I think we've established that a lot of these marketplaces are releasing self-serve solutions, but I'm just wondering how brands are responding to it. Are brands adopting more of these? Are are brands taking Amazon budgets and and take them to multiple marketplaces? And just how are you seeing spend shifting through all of the marketplaces that PackView supports? 
That's a great question. So first of all, I think that, you know, if the pandemic did anything, obviously it accelerated e-commerce and in doing so it really, you know, some brands are already super focused on it. The traditional, we work with, you know, everyone we work with enterprise accounts, small sellers and brands, but you know, the enterprise accounts have been, you know, they have annual planning cycles. Maybe they're a little bit slower to adopt e-commerce, but that all has been thrown out the window and changed. And so we're just seeing incredible adoption of these new platforms, you know, Instacart, especially in the grocery space seems to be super important for the grocery brands. I just did a executive breakfast with Instacart last week, actually, and had a, a brand panel and they talk about, and it's true, you know, it's, it's even more important on Instacart to be on the top three slots than other platforms and to really get onto people's grocery buy now again carts lists. <laughs> That's the word. One brand was like, it's, it's like liquid gold to see the, you know, buy, buy again on my product. But, you know, the customer lifetime value of getting those products into those shopping lists is huge. And so the willingness to, to really kind of pay to play for those is pretty big. So, you know, we see a tremendous amount of adoption. Amazon really led the way, I don't know, five, six years ago when they launched search and the ability for brands to pay their way to the top. So that was, that really indicated the importance of it, I guess, with these other retailer platforms. Absolutely. So basically I had a a whole, you were actually the first person we contacted and interviewed when Instacart for CMOs was just an idea. I was really, really curious just to see your take, you know, a few months later, basically If I can sum up your response, 2021 is looking positive for Instacart advertising, just judging by numbers of advertisers adopting it on PacU. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing going for Instacart as well that that a lot of brands have have said as well is that Instacart gives a lot of additional data. So they have a treasure trove of data that they provide to brands because they know that that's so critical for them to measure success. They even have data down to like lost sales and who they lost to and things like that. You know, like data that brands are really looking for. And that's been one of their, not a secret, but that's that's been very helpful to adoption. Getting brands to adopt the platform is the fact that they're, they need data to prove its success. And so they're enabling a lot of that success metric and data for these brands to prove it. But, you know, we we have seen a lot of, especially in the grocery space, I mean, obviously Instacart is, is going beyond groceries and they've adopted other retailers, but, you know, really it's, it's heavily sought after by these grocery brands, especially to get into shopping lists. So continued momentum and success. I think that there's this, this question mark that some brands have, which is post pandemic when people start living their their true lives and going out what happens and that does remain to be seen but there is consensus in the community that the baseline is never going back to the same before that it's that's been it's been raised and the net of it is these brands want to be where the consumers are and the consumers are shopping on Instacart so absolutely absolutely and just to touch on your reporting point it has to be a win-win right if i'm a brand if 
and it, I get the report which tells me who I'm losing sales to, of course, I'm going to react by investing more heavily in advertising and I'll be able to justify that investment. So I think Instacart have done have done themselves a favor by being able to share this type of data with advertisers. Yeah. What are you seeing amongst your clients in terms of their excitement for platforms? Are there certain platforms that are more excited than others? What have you seen? Basically, Instacart is growing in adoption in 2021. And one thing that I feel comfortable sharing is I, while I believe last year it was, you know, let's get on Instacart. We have some leftover budget. Let's get on Instacart. We'll just take our budget from Amazon. I believe the latest clients, the latest prospects who bobsled salespeople or the whole operations team is talking to, I think they now have a clear vision or a dedicated budget of what they want to do on Instacart. And they have the patience to test it out for at least a few months to, to make that call. So I am seeing a larger adoption of Instacart as a service, but also seeing more deliberation on, on the brand side. I think they're actually, they've, they've had the meetings internally. They've had the discussions. They, they came up with the budget. And I think that's going to be that's going to be very, very successful for Instacart in the longer term. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that I talk to brands a lot about is this concept of budget fluidity, which, you know, traditionally bigger brands have been less fluid with their budgets. They've had annual planning cycles. They've had, you know, I spend this much on Walmart, this much on Instacart. And for the, you know, for the most part, they do kind of have some restrictions, but, you know, there's just this need to be a little bit flexible when there's, this huge opportunity of Instacart popping up out of nowhere, you know, to be able to advertise on it. You need to be able to test on that platform and get budget for it. And last year, people were able to do that because they weren't spending money on TV Mm -hmm. and other channels. But we're, I mean, as we were just discussing, we're going to continue to see more and more retailer media, you know, retail media platforms popping up, you know. And so just this ability to, to have, to seize the opportunity is going to be really important for brands. So I think that brands are getting getting the memo to be a little bit more fluid and seize the opportunity because there is this first mover advantage, which we certainly saw in Instacart, which was you know a lot lower CPCs, really high performance. It's still really good now, but you know wouldn't you rather test when a CPC is fifty cents than when it's you know five dollars? And that's that's kind of the case that we like to present, which is. When these new opportunities come by, having that fluidity and, you know, nimbleness to be able to jump on the opportunity and test it out. And that takes also, that takes resources, as you know, from an agency perspective or from the brand perspective is actually having that person to be able to jump on the opportunity in addition to the budget. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, my feedback on Instacart was if it's a CPC based model, I mean, get in there get on the platform before everybody else does. And what's applicable to Instacart six, eight, 12 months ago is applicable to all these new and upcoming marketplaces. If it's a CPC-based model, if it's a CPC-based auction, you can only gain by being among, among the first ones to advertise there. So definitely, I guess brands will have to be a lot more agile. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you, you and I were kind of having this conversation before where it was like, well, 
are these brands going to be, you know, are there going to be 35 different marketplaces that they're going to have to be working with? And (laughs) I I think that, you know, for example, there's these aggregators like Critio where, and then I would almost argue Packy is even an aggregator on top of that, aggregating Amazon, Walmart, Critio and everything into one place, which is the beauty of having the platform in one place to go. But I do think that there are the work streams increase, you know, as we think about this space, it will continue to get more complex, which is why it's important to have the right people and platforms in place to be able to play and to be able to optimize the way that you want to on these platforms. And so maybe, yes, there will be 35 different marketplaces and platforms, but the more you can consolidate that into easier work streams, there's going to be these aggregators like the Critios and Citruses of the world to be able to enable that and then of course us which selfishly i would (laughs) throw that in but i do think that that is kind of the world that we're headed to and it is going to be a lot more complex and the other thing is we all talk about data and it is such a good thing but you have to do something with that data like now we're in this place where okay let's get all the data into one place but next is really operationalizing it and automating and optimizing it and so that's that's where we need to go as well, which is getting access to the data, but then putting it into action and automating it. Absolutely. And Melissa, at the risk of you having to repeat yourself, I think you put it really nice in this past overview. But my final question to you is, uh, you know, as the title of the episode says, allocating marketing spent for optimal results on Amazon and other marketplaces Do you have a tip or a suggestion or a formula you would share with us that would stay with our listeners when they try to divide their marketing spend across all these old and emerging marketplaces throughout 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is getting an easy work stream, getting everything into one place where you can have all these disparate data sources and and analysis so that you can see what's performing Another is testing and learning. So the only way to know what's working is to test it. And so being able to test Walmart, being able to test these platforms and measure the results. And then if it's poor, come back three months later because it will have changed. So, you know, the algorithms are changing every day. And so I know, you know, with one platform, Six months ago, it didn't perform. So, you know, okay, I'm not going to work on that platform again. Try it again six months, three months later, even because, you know, there's constant improvement happening right now. And so, like I said, from the beginning, you need two things. You need really smart people and a tech stack that really helps automate those strategies and tactics that those smart people are coming up with because everything else is pretty much changing all the time. Absolutely. Melissa, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really, really enjoyed recording this episode. And I really, really enjoyed our conversation before we actually turned on the recording. Final question for you. Can you share with our listeners where they can reach you? What would be the best way for the e-commerce brain trust listeners to reach out to you if they have any questions? Absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn. And you can also email me at melissa at Awesome. Thanks again. 
Thanks everyone for listening to yet another episode of the e-commerce brain trust. I think that is a wrap on the ad series. We've done several of them. I think we learned a lot about advertising on Amazon and other marketplaces. And back in May, Kiri will be back with the regular topics that the e-commerce brain trust would cover. Thanks.